0: Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this message in our current series. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? You ready to go? All right, here we go. We have been the the longest I I believe that I've ever spent doing one series. We've been, uh, I think we're in our 11th week on the book of Colossians. And next Sunday, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it all up. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do something before we dive into chapter four. Is it kind of, we're kind of wrapping, it's, it's bringing it all together. And we're gonna get there in just a moment. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this yet, or even if you have done it yet, I want to encourage you this week to take a few minutes out. And literally, it's just a few minutes, 15, 20 minutes. And in one sitting, read the entire book of Colossians. Uh, You'll see now, as you go through it, kind of the wrap. You've got a new perspective. We've been walking through it verse by verse by verse. And we have read virtually every verse in the book so far. And we're going to finish that up next week. But I want to encourage you just in one setting to sit down and just to read it from beginning to end. Just four Short chapters takes about 20 minutes, and I think as you do, you'll start to see the message that we've been talking about these past few months come off the page in real life to you. You see, Paul, all through this, and we say Paul because Paul is the author, the human author, inspired by God to write this book. He's a human author, and he's in prison, and he's writing to this baby church in Colossae who is, they're wrestling, and he's trying to protect them from twin enemies. On one side, it's the Jewish legalists who want to make people more Jewish to tell them that's what Christianity looks like. They want to heap upon them the rules of Judaism. And on the other hand, there are the pagan mystics from culture who are telling them of this unique, special knowledge that will make them everything they want to be. And Paul is like diving into this and going, no, 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 no. You're messing up the story. And he has one message, and that message is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In other words, all through it, he's saying, Jesus is everything you need. Like, don't, don't twist this story. Don't turn this story into something. And he's speaking on one hand to the new believers, and he's speaking on the other hand to these people that, are, that have become enemies of the faith. They're like twisting the story. And he says, don't do that. Don't, don't twist this story. Don't, don't add anything. Don't add anything to Jesus. Jesus is enough. And to, to prove how Jesus is enough for everything in their life, chapter by chapter by chapter, he tells them, Jesus is what you want. And so in verse by verse, we've been seeing how how Jesus kind of is what we want, how these things that we want, the hope that we want, the freedom that we want, the forgiveness that we want, the family that we want, all of these different things are found in Jesus. And now we come to sort of the, the wrap of the book. And Paul pivots a little bit. He, he, he changes course, and, and now he wants to ask you and me and the readers of his letter. He asks them for something. But in the asking, there's a, a really important lesson. Let me, let me show you what it says. Chapter 4, verse 2, he, he says this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, carve out some time in your life so you can pray. And then in verse 3, he says, pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains, in other words, in prison, And then in verse four, he says, Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. You should pray. You should pray for us. And then he says, Pray for me. That's an interesting thing, right? You should pray. Pray for for all of us. Pray for us. And pray for me. It's a little bit striking, right? I mean, certainly everyone needs prayer, right? Everyone. Everyone needs prayer, right? I mean, we kind of believe that, like everyone needs prayer. Except I bet there's people that you think they don't really need prayer. I know I do. I think there are people that are just like, man, they're all set. Like they're the people we lean on, the people we go to, the They're they're the the strong. They're the ones we ask for prayer. And and we tend to not think of them in those terms. But Paul's turning the table. The the strong, the the leader, the the defender of the faith, the one who's writing the letters, the, the apostle Paul is having a moment of vulnerability. Would you pray for us? I mean me. If you see the progression there, that's what he's getting to. You see, there's something about prayer and, and asking for prayer that's, that's vulnerable, right? It's and sometimes it doesn't go well. You know what I mean? Have you ever I'm about to step on toes, so just have you ever asked somebody to pray for you and they gave you an opinion instead? Uh-huh, It's happened to you too, huh? Yeah. You're like, man, I wish you'd pray. And they're like, oh, and because you can see the wheels turning in their mind, and they're thinking, I wouldn't have to pray for you if you would just do this, this, and this. And you're like, I just came to ask you to pray, right? I'll go one worse. Even worse is when you ask somebody to pray for you, and they share their opinion with others about you. Oh, that's awesome. Like, let me give you a, a just here. Bonus, this is bonus material. If you have somebody in your life when you ask them to pray for you, they tell other people what they think of you. You should stop asking that person to pray for you. They're not praying for you anyway, people. They're just gossiping. But there's something about about prayer and about asking for for prayer that is that is vulnerable it's 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 weak it's it's like i i i need something i'm not i'm not complete i'm not whole i'm i i'm in a in a place of 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 weakness and and when i read this last piece here paul is he's in he's in jail right and he doesn't ask pray that i would get a good lawyer And he doesn't ask, pray that I would get out of here. I mean, that's a legitimate prayer request. I'm wrongfully imprisoned. I'd like to be free. And I don't think that Paul was against that. I just, there was something more on his mind. And I, we have this habit of over-spiritualizing the Bible, if, if that's possible. Like, we take things and we turn we, we, we turn... We turn giants into gods, and we shouldn't do that. Paul was a giant of the faith, but he wasn't—he wasn't God. And, and and when I read this in verse four, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. When I read that, I here's how I interpret it. I, I interpret it like I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm in prison, and I, I know I'm your spiritual leader, but I'm struggling, and I just want to ask you to pray for me. And, and here's why: when he says that last bit, I, I, I sense that Paul, and you're just, you're just reading, you're listening, is afraid he won't be a match for the moment. Like there's this opportunity for the gospel, and the opportunity hasn't gone away just because he's in prison, and he just says, pray that but I wouldn't mess this up. I don't blow it. I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna ruin. I don't wanna become, I don't wanna become a statistic. I don't wanna be cast away. I don't wanna miss this moment. So just, would you just, would you just pray for me? And it's, it's vulnerable. There's something vulnerable, but there's something powerful when people know how to pray, and that's what he's doing. He's like giving them something specific. He's like vulnerably laying it in their lap, and he's entrusting it to them, and inviting them to pray for him. And it's powerful. It's powerful when people know how to pray for you. We we have a we stumbled on something really um, in our in our staff some years ago, and. Um, We've got an incredible uh, team of uh, people that work together on our staff, and I feel so fortunate to work with this group, and uh, kind of the heartbeat of our week is uh, we, we gather weekly on Tuesdays for a, kind of what you would call a staff meeting, but it, it always begins by... With with prayer requests, and so we share across the room what's happening in the church. We go over all the prayer requests that you give to pray for for all of those needs, and then and then we share good stories. It's kind of a it's kind of a twofer, right? It's like it's like, hey, tell us what good story you're hearing. And we just talk about like good stories that we're hearing and what God is doing. And every week, it's just a, a reminder of how God is involved. But we stumbled on something a couple years ago when we we decided to to take a break from just to. to uh, by once a month just to pray with each other. So here's what we do. We break off into groups, and there's usually 10 or 12 of us, and we'll, we'll break off into groups of two. And we, we pray just for each other, and we don't, we don't pray for others, and we don't pray for things that are happening in the church, and we're not praying for a program. Here's what we do. We just start it this way. We ask each other. And, and every time it's somebody different you're, you're praying with, we ask each other this question, how can I pray for you? That's a powerful question. Like, if you've got someone in your life that you care for, and you can, in a very, like, like private, quiet, meaningful moment, just ask them, like, how can I pray for you? And, and the prayer requests are not about the ministry we're doing or anything. It's just, it's a, and, and let me tell you What happens? And our staff doesn't know I'm going to be talking about this, but I'm to, there's a moment when someone asks you, you're sitting across from somebody who you work together with and you minister together, and most of us have been together for years. When, when they ask you, how can I pray for you, you instantly are doing math of how vulnerable you want to be. Right? Because we've all got easy stuff. Like, I'll, I'll throw them a bone. Like, well, pray for this and pray for that. But, but there, there's moments where you're like, man. And what we've discovered over the years is that this, this vulnerability is the beautiful place for relationships. Relationships are built and bonded and... And we get to genuinely pray for another person. We just get to sit there and we, 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 we've been vulnerable and we lean in and we share. And I think this is what Paul is doing in this passage. He's saying, pray for me and let me be just a little bit vulnerable with you. I'm not sure I'm a match for this moment. We're like, whoa. Paul, if you're not a match for this moment, there's no hope for us. There's no hope for any of us outside of Jesus. I think that's what Paul would say. He said, hey, we all need this. You need it. I need it. I need it. So would you just pray that I wouldn't miss this moment? It's interesting that Paul is talking about the moment, isn't he? He's he's not he's not looking for the lawyer, he's not looking for bail money, he's you know, he's he sees an opportunity, and the opportunity for him is is the one. Brett talked about this a few moments ago. It's it's the one who's not there, it's the one who hasn't heard, it's the it's the one that they could bring the gospel to. And and he doesn't he doesn't want to miss that. And in fact, he picks up on this in verse five. Uh, let me read it to you, just verses five and six. He says, "Live wisely among those who are not believers." And make the most of every opportunity. See how he's transitioned from his prayer because he says, Don't, he says, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Don't, don't you miss this opportunity. And then he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive, so that you will have the right response. That is the right response every time. Gracious and attractive. Gracious and attractive. Don't miss this opportunity. To tell the story of Jesus, gracious and attractive, I, I was I was reading this and I realized, and I, I, I'm a I'm a fan of the the version we use, the New Living Translation that we we use. I think it is. Um, it, 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 it's readable. It's accurate. And in this passage, what it's trying to do is it's conveying the sense of what every translation is trying to convey—the sense of the words underneath it. And it's not always a word-for-word a word translation. In this sense, he's given the idea. Especially when he says "and attractive." But for me, it. Doesn't quite hit the spot, like the actual word. that It's just trying to get to the idea. So I want to read to you the word and how it reads it. This is the, this is the NIV. For those of you who read out of the NIV, this will sound familiar. And uh, many other translations. He says, let your conversation, verse 6, be always full of grace. So there, that, that's over. Every translation, full of grace, full of grace. Let it be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. To so see, that, it says that, that attractive is just the, the underlying idea there was a metaphor from the day seasoned with salt. I like that because I like salt. It's true. My doctor's away today, so I'm, I decided I knew he was going to be away this weekend, so I said, I can talk about my love for salt. I love salt. I mean, and so I like this illustration. Let it be, let, let it be gracious, seasoned with salt. <laughs> I love salt. I went to a, a, a birthday party recently. It was a, a Brazilian birthday party. Little tip: if you get invited to a Brazilian birthday party, go. So we got there, and it was they were and they were having Brazilian barbecue. Gosh, I think I'm Brazilian because I just love barbecue. <laughs> we have a lot of Brazilian families in our church. God bless you. And they've just, they got the grill out, and they're just, they're cooking up. And it's and, and just like, basically, the barbecue was just bowls of meat, just steak. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. And uh, we're just sitting around eating just, just steak. It's cut into little pieces. And, and I said to um, the grill master who was hosting the birthday party, I said, uh, I said this is amazing. Like like how is it so good? And he says, "Oh, we cut it this way." I'm like, "It's not the cutting. Like what's in this?" And he said, "Salt." <laughs> I said, genius. I don't know. Listen, it's magic salt. I don't know. Listen, it didn't taste salty. It just tasted amazing. I don't know what that was. It just, it just tasted amazing. It magnified whatever they did. It magnified the flavor of the meat and it weighed you want more. Do you see what Paul is saying? He says, magnify the flavor of Jesus. And if you're wondering what he's saying, there's this picture of grace and salt. And those weren't meant to be two different things the salt was meant to accentuate the action of grace so if my interpretation is pour salt on your grace just magnify the grace like if you want to know how to tell the story of jesus grace and salt and put your salt on your grace. Just magnify, just tell like it's a story full of grace. And and here's what Paul is saying. He says you can ruin the story of Jesus. Have you ever seen it happen? Have you ever seen somebody ruin the story of Jesus? They've they they've, they've flavored it with something and it doesn't taste right and they've made they've made Jesus harder and harsher than he was meant to be and and you see what Paul is saying? He said, listen, if you want to tell the story of Jesus, don't listen to the Jewish legalizers and don't listen to the pagan mystics. They want to add some. They want to tell you it's for special people and people that can keep all the rules and do all the things. Don't listen to them and don't let them add that you tell the story of Jesus with grace. And double down on grace. Just salt it up, man. Just make sure the flavor of grace, the story of his goodness and his patience and his mercy and his long-suffering and his generosity towards his people, make sure they hear the story. That is the story of Jesus. Grace and salt. I love that. Let them hear the story of Jesus' goodness and his grace. There's a a great little story. We're not going to read it, but let me tell it to you. It's in Jeremiah, chapter 38, if you want to look it up later. Jeremiah is a prophet. and It's in the city of Jerusalem, and the city is besieged. The enemy's on the outside, and they're starving to death. They were just The enemy was just starving them out. And Jeremiah was preaching an unpopular message, and finally the city is starving to death. The people are emaciated, and the king decides, the last thing I need is this guy going around causing trouble. And he takes the prophet Jeremiah, bony as he is, and he throws him in an empty cistern, a, a well. The wells of the day were kind of shaped like a pear. They would open at the bottom, and this one was this one was dry of water, but the bottom was muddy, it says. And they dropped him into this hole to die. I'll get rid of the troublemaking prophet. We got enough problems without the prophet telling us what we should do. They drop him into this hole and the prophet's down there dying. When one man decides that's not the way it should be, his name was Ebed Malik. You've probably never heard of him. Honestly, I hadn't either. It's one of those stories that lasts like four verses. And Ebed goes to the king and he says, King, what we're doing to the prophet? It's not right. He's not the problem. He's not the enemy. The king relents. Fine. Get him out of the hole. So Ebed, Malik, puts together a a team of people. He gets his posse together. And he goes to the well. But what happens here is why I tell the story. It says that he got some rope and some rags to rescue him. And he takes this rope and he, he creates some loops out of it that, that the prophet could put under his arms so they could lift him out. But it says he doesn't just get ropes. He goes in and he gets some rags and he throws the rope and he throws the rags down and he tells the prophet, prophet, put the rags under your arms so the rope won't dig into you. And then they lift him up. Ropes and rags. It was such a simple act of kindness. Ropes and rags, grace, and salt. Do you see what Paul is saying? Do you see what Ebed Malik did? They they were stepping into a world with the story of Jesus. And Paul is saying, listen, listen, listen. When you take the story, when you tell the story of Jesus, grace, and salt. On generosity. Let them see and feel and hear the patience. And the generosity of God expressed through your words and through your life and through our church. Let them see grace and salt. Let them see a people of ropes and rags, like just generously saying, listen, listen, this is the story of Jesus who rescues us, who lifts us out. And he doesn't just do it with rough ropes. He does it with these rags, like put these on. He's come to rescue us. An incredibly beautiful story. What a wise bit of advice for our church and for you and for me when we live out the story with those who don't yet believe and how we live it out. And if if you're here and you're just you've been on that journey with Jesus but you you're not you're not sure like giving your life over to Jesus feels overwhelming maybe maybe even unsafe like like what's he gonna ask of me what's he gonna demand of me jesus is the jesus of grace and salt he's the jesus of ropes and rags this is his entire story it's the story of the son of god who gave up everything to come into this world so that you and i could have life and life to the full he was the magnification of this story of ropes and rags He exemplified it in every single way. And if you're standing there and you're hearing Jesus knocking at the door of your heart and you're wondering whether or not it's safe to let him in and say yes to him and give him your life, grace, and salt. It's his story. It's who he is. It's how he loves his people. That's how he loves you. That's why it's not just safe. It's good to say yes to him. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we get just a a few minutes to step back from the text and the story. To reflect on what it is that maybe God has been saying to you. Maybe there's someone you need to pray for. And it's someone you don't usually think of praying for because it seems like they're the people that are supposed to pray for everybody else in your life. They're the strong ones. Maybe you want to begin a season of vulnerability in the quiet of this moment by praying an honest prayer yourself and then maybe you'd follow it today by finding someone you trust who will pray for you and telling them would you pray for me and then telling them how Maybe we pray together that we would be this church of ropes and rags, grace seasoned with salt, doubling down on grace, his goodness, his generosity. And maybe you're here and you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. Taking that step of faith, inviting him into your life. He's gracious. He's generous. If that's you, I want to invite you to just in the quiet of this moment, pray a simple prayer of faith. You can pray it to yourself. God will hear there's no magic words it's just a prayer of faith that says Jesus I need you I trust you as my savior I accept your gift of forgiveness that you gave on the cross if that's you let me invite you to pray with me something like this dear God you know me. And everything about me. So this morning, I, I confess it. And I confess that I need a Savior. Jesus, I need you. And I want you in my life. Jesus Christ. And I say yes to you. And your gift of salvation, of grace, of mercy. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen.